Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. The sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our time together in Sunday school, our fellowship, our singing beautiful praises to your name this morning in honor of who you are, praising you with our lips. And now, Father, as we approach your throne of grace through your word, I ask this of you, that you set our hearts upon you, you open our ears and our hearts that we may hear as you speak to us this morning. And that, Father, you make very little of this servant of yours and very much of yourself as your word is proclaimed. This we pray in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've been with us over uh, the course of this year, you know we've been looking at God's vision for Morris Creek Baptist Church. We've we've talked about Him bringing us out to bring us in. We've seen that we had never been this way before. We we looked at how God has has rigged the whole deal for us, and and we've even discussed how we are to live a life with purpose. See, the vision of of God for Morris Creek is directly related to the purpose God has for Morris Creek, even though those are two different things. And since the body of Moore's Creek is, is made up of individuals who, who are Christ followers, who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the vision God has for each of us relates to the vision of Moore's Creek Baptist Church. And the vision of each of our lives is directly related to the purpose of each of our lives. And the purpose that God has for us is what we're going to look at this morning. So... The question I want you to answer today, the first part of, is this. Does my life have purpose? Notice it's an individual question directed, directed to you individually. Not does this church have a purpose or does the Wilmington Baptist Association or Cape Fear Network of Baptist Churches as it's now known, which will take me forever to start remembering that. Not does it have a direction. Not does the North Carolina Baptist or the Southern Baptist Convention have a direction. But do you, do you in your life have a purpose? Do you have a purpose? This is a question we all ask at some point in our time, whether it be when we're making decisions about where to go to college or, or what we're going to do for a career or, or maybe even when our career is over and we're trying to decide what we're going to do with those days of retirement in our life. We ask that question, what, what is our purpose in this stage in our life? But the greatest moment we can ask ourselves the question of do we have purpose in our life is when we're discovering what God has in store for us. That is the greatest time to ask ourselves, what is a purpose? What is it that God has purposed for my life? Is it to be a better person? Is it to be a more generous giver? Is it to be the best pastor, the best Sunday school teacher, the best choir member, the piano player, the greeter, or usher? 
is it to be the most faithful church attender? What, what is the purpose that, that God has for our life? Understanding what God has purposed for your life will change the focus of your life. And that's what God's after. Let's look at Psalm 57 to see how David looked at God's purpose for his life. And by doing this, we can understand better what God has in store uh, for our life. First, let's look at the introduction. Some of you may have it in your Bible. I didn't read it this morning, but if you have a study Bible, or a matter of fact, I believe if you're using one of our pew Bibles, in between where it says Psalm 57 and where it says verse 1, it may have some things written, some things that say this is a prayer for safety from enemies. It may have this written. To the chief musician, set to do not destroy. <laughs> it's a mitchtam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. There's some very important information we can gain from that so that we can get an understanding of what's going on in this psalm. First, it says that it's to the chief musician. I hope you know that the book of Psalms is songs. It is songs. It said this particular song was set to do not destroy. That was maybe kind of like picking out... Uh, I don't know, maybe a Shania Twain tune, and you're going to put something to it, and they're going to sing it. So he says, hey, put these words to this music, and this is the song. He says, so David wrote this song, and he gave it to the chief uh, musician, the one in charge, and said, put these words to this music, and this will be a song for us. It also says that it was a mitztam of David when he fled from Saul into a cave. Those are very important words to remember when you're looking at this particular song. See, if you remember the story of David and his life, David was anointed to be the next king. <laughs> there was an issue in the land, for there was already a king. His name was Saul. Saul was not happy about being removed from the throne and David being inserted into that place. Saul was so unhappy about it that he sought out him with all that he was worth, with thousands of men, and they decided they were going to kill this David and do away with this problem. Saul did not want to give up his throne. And David was anointed to take it. So David had a small band of men. So what did they do? He said, I know that I may have killed a giant with a sling and a stone, but there's thousands of these guys. Our best option is to run. So he ran. You know the story from 1 Samuel. If you've read 1 Samuel that he fled, he ran around and around mountains. He did all kinds of things. And at one point in his fleeing, he finds himself hiding in a cave. He finds himself hiding in the cave. He was fearing for his life. And it was in the damp darkness of that cave that David wrote this. It was he, he wrote this passage, this Psalm 57. Now that gives us a whole new mindset about this Psalm now, doesn't it? So with that setting in mind, let's look at three things David reveals about his purpose and subsequently our purpose uh, in relation to who God is. The first thing I noticed whenever I read this in relation to David's story and what was going on in his life, the first thing I noticed is that God most definitely has a purpose. It's just not about you. See, I think we need to stop and think about what our purpose is in relation to who God is and who we are. David had every right to go to God and ask him to fix his situation. You see, God had appointed him to be the new king. David was just doing what God said do. He had done everything that he could to make peace with Saul and be reconciled with Saul. And if God wanted David to be king, then he needed to step in and take care of the situation. I mean, let's face it, God. You created a mess. You fix it. David could have very simply went to God and said, look, this is your problem. This is your 
problem. But notice one thing about the psalm. He's in a cave, hiding from Saul, fearing for his life, but he never asked God to take care of the problem. He never mentions it. David knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God was in control. God had said, you will be the next king. And therefore, if he was to be the next king, nothing would happen to David until he was the next king. He knew when God said, this is what you are, that there was nothing that was going to change that. See, this is what God had ordained in his life. So what then is David's heart in this song, this psalm that he wrote? I think to understand his heart, you have to look at the thing that's written most often in the psalm. And it's very simple to pick out because there are two verses that say exactly the same thing in this psalm. And I believe this is his focus. Look at verse 5 or you can look at verse 11. Both of those read the same way when it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Instead of David being consumed with his life and his desire to be rescued from his situation, he desired that God be glorified in the situation. See, very quickly, when we have problems come, we ask God to take those things away. That's our first thought. What was David's first thought? God, you're in control. Problem didn't show up by accident if you're in control. So I'll tell you what you do, God. You use the problem in my life, the fact that Saul's trying to kill me, I'm hiding in a dark cave, I don't know what to do. You use all that for one thing, your glory. See, you and I exist, you and I exist for God's glory. David understood that the ultimate purpose of his life and your life and my life is not about us. It's about God. It is about God's glory. And you know, this is terribly hard. This is terribly hard for us to grasp and to get. We have a hard time believing that the, that the most important things in this world, that we are not the center of it. We have a tough time believing that we're not the center of all that happens in our world. But the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear about its purposes in, in God's creation his, his purposes in this world, even, even His purposes in us. The Bible is very clear when it talks about those things that we've seen God do and that we experience every day, even down to the purpose of, of Him working in our life. Very quickly, I'm going to run through some scriptures. You may not have time to turn to these. Just jot them down and look them up whenever you get home. But what was God's purpose in creation? We talked about creation with the kids this morning. What was His purpose in creation? I'll tell you what. Why don't we let David answer that for us in, in Psalm, in Psalm verse uh, or chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, he says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. What was God's purpose in creation? Was it to give us a ball to spin around in space, to stand on and to live with our friends? No. The purpose was that the heavens would declare the glory of God. When God set into motion this world that we live on, the stars that we see and the planets that are around us, and put us in circulation around the sun, he did it for one purpose. His glory. There was no other purpose. It was for His glory. God created this earth to display His glory. All that you see in His creation displays to us the awesome glory of the God of creation. I often wonder, could we be like a bug in the garden that's crawling around on the leaf of a plant? 
And the only thing that we see as we crawl around on a leaf for the plant is the leaf. Not realizing the leaf is attached to a beautiful rose bush in a garden completely full of rose bushes. We've become so comfortable with the leaf that we're on that we forget God created it all for His glory. We become so comfortable in the little place that we're at, we forget to look up and see the rainbow. We forget to walk out at night and see the stars that are there. We forget to walk past the bushes and see the flowers that came from nowhere. We forget that God did all of that, all of that for His glory. We become so accustomed to seeing it, we forget there's a Creator behind it. And every time those flowers bloom, every time that sun rises, every time a rainbow appears in the sky, nature is screaming the glory of the God of creation. Just screaming the glory. Another question, what what was the purpose in God choosing to save Israel, His chosen people? We talked about creation, it's in the Bible. We see most of the Old Testament talks about this, this people group called Israel, these Jews. Why did God choose them? Why did God choose to save them? What was His purpose in it? Again, David answers that for us in Psalm 106. In Psalm 106, eight, David speaking about the, about the Israelites, David writes this, Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose to save Israel? Why is his hand still upon them today? Which is obvious. Look, they're surrounded by people who hate them, who are lobbing rockets into them all day long. Yet they're surviving. Why? He did it for his own name's sake. That his name may be lifted high. How do I know that's true? Because not only did he write that in Isaiah, in Isaiah 48, 9, Isaiah agreed with it whenever he said, For my name's sake, I will defend my anger, and for my praise, I will restrain it from you, speaking of Israel, for his name's sake. Not only that, if you flip over to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23, Ezekiel says this, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel. But for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. He's saying, I'm doing it for my name, and you've been profaning that name. He goes on to say, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you profaned in their midst. And the nations, he says, Israel, listen, and the nations, he says, shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I am hollowed before your eyes. He says, oh Israel, you want to know why I chose you? You want to know why I chose to love you? You want to know why I chose to save you? Because even though you're not going to act like my children, the day that you come to recognize it, the rest of the nations are going to go, whew, there is a God. He says there will come a day that my name will be hallowed before your eyes and all the nations will know that I am God. So we talked about creation. We talked about why he saved Israel. Let me ask you this. Why did he save you? Have you ever sat in the dark corner of your room and asked yourself that question? I have. What is it within me that God would choose to save me? What would a sinner such as I be of any good to a holy, righteous God? Why did he save us? 
a book we spend a lot of time in answers that. It's the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 6 say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him, speaking of Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Yes, that's all one long sentence, and he's not through yet, because now he gets to the main point where he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. What's the long sentence? He said, blessed be the God who saved us for his glory. You see, Paul makes it clear that God didn't save us because of what we bring to the table. He saved us because how he can glorify himself through it. Think about it. Think about it. If Billy Graham had been Billy Graham all of his life and had never sinned, and God said, there's a good one, I'll take him, the world could understand why. He's a great guy. He knows his Bible. He preaches. That same God finds one laid in the gutter that has drunken himself into a stupor, that has lived a life that was less than glorifying, and God says, you know what? I'll take him. And that guy comes out of the gutter that he was in to be the next Billy Graham. (laughs) The world's going to say, there is a God. There is a God. If God could take that and glorify himself this way, I won't end. And see, God chooses to save you and to save me for the glory of his name. Another question comes to mind. Why does he continue working in our lives? He saved us. He's glorified himself. Why is he continuing to be involved in our lives? David again answers that question. He answers it in a very neat psalm. Matter of fact, it's a psalm we all know. It's a psalm we probably learned as a kid. It's a psalm that's read at every funeral, I believe. I don't think it ever passes. A funeral passes that this psalm is not read. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. It's, it's everybody's favorite, favorite psalm. But you know, David answers the question in there why he's continuing to work in our life. We'll start in verse number one. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. It says he restores my soul. Here's the kicker. (laughs) He leads me in the paths of righteousness so that I'll be a good guy. So the church will have a good preacher. So that Sunday school will have a great teacher. So that my wife will have a great husband. He leads me in righteousness so so that I can bless everybody around me. It's not what he says. He says, I lead you in the path of righteousness, sanctification, growing in Christ, for my name's sake. There's only one reason God's still working in your life. It's for his glory. See, he didn't just save you as the ultimate goal. He saved you so that he could glorify himself through your life. And David says that. He says, Even as I think about you being my shepherd, even as I think about the shadow of death, even as I think about all these things, I realize, God, you are making me more righteous, more like Christ. For what reason? For you. For your glory. It has nothing, nothing to do with me. 
Why is God leading you specifically through sanctification to be righteous, to look like His Son, Jesus Christ, so that your life screams the glory of an Almighty God? Let's address the thought that's probably centering on your mind. It's a question I'm often asked when I talk about our life being for the glory of God, God saving us for His glory, God creating all things for His glory. There's a theme that seems to run through all of that, doesn't it? This selfish God and His glory. That's the theme that runs through. So many people come and say, isn't it pretty self-centered of God to decide that He should be glorified, that all things, even what He makes and what He does with us is for His glory? What about my glory? (laughs) I can only see God laughing, saying, excuse me, (laughs) your glory? Do you remember who you... We just won't even talk about that. We'll just move on. But so many people think, you know, that's a self-centered God that makes the whole world revolve around Him. Think about how He made creation. This just hit me. All of creation spins around one thing. What is the one thing? The sun. You know, for a long time, everyone thought that everything spun around the earth because they would see the stars come and go. And one guy came along and said, no, 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 no. It all spins around the sun you know, we're to spin around the sun. And if you think about it, the most loving thing God could do for us is to put our planet in an orbit around the sun so that we get heat from the sun part of the day and there's coolness part of the day. It's what allows things like these beautiful flowers to grow and for us to grow. It's, it's a loving God who puts us at just the right distance that it's not too hot or too cold. It's a loving God that sets all that into motion so that we see His handiwork in it. You know, that's a loving God. He does the same thing with our life. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the S-O-N Son becomes our central focus. It's a loving God that makes everything about Him. All that happens in our life, all that's done in our world, all that we touch and see is about this S-O-N Son that now becomes that which our life revolves around. What a beautiful picture in creation of how our life should be. Why? Why does God want to glorify Himself? Why is it so much about God? I love some of the older theologians and writers. There's a guy named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer, he's written a a lot of books. There's one he wrote that I don't necessarily know why he picked this title. Um, But anyhow, it's a great book. It's called Hot Tub Religion. It's the title of the book, Hot Tub Religion. He wrote this in that book. If it is right for man to have the glory of God as his goal, can it be wrong for God to have the same goal? If man can have no higher purpose than God's glory, how can God have a higher purpose? If it is wrong for man to seek a lesser end than this, it would be wrong for God too. The reason it cannot be right for man to live for himself as if he were God is because he is not God. However, it is not wrong for God to seek his own glory because he is God. See, when you stop and think about it, That makes a lot of sense. Let's face it. We have a problem with thinking about God being self-centered on himself and wanting all the glory because we think 
that we are the center of the world. We really do. We come into this world thinking that, and if we aren't careful, we live that out our entire life. That's why you don't have to teach someone to be self-centered. Have you ever noticed that? There are no classes in high school on being self-centered. You can't get a college degree in self-centeredness. That's why many arguments happen in churches, at work, in marriages, because we're self-centered. We want it our way. <laughs> that's why our relationships are so difficult. I think that's why the national anthem of hell is going to be, I did it my way. <laughs> I did it my way. You'll get that later on as you're eating lunch. You know what? It only takes one look at man's sin and God's forgiveness denoted as perfectly fine <laughs> that God seeks out his own glory. It's perfectly fine with me. See, when God created man, he did so that man would be in a relationship with him. Not too long ago, I was listening to a sermon by a guy named Andy Stanley. You may know Charles Stanley. This is his son, Andy Stanley. Andy and I don't agree on everything. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things we may not agree on. But on this, I think he hit a home run in his explanation of something. I want to read what he said just as bullet points. Andy wrote this when he was talking about creation and God and man in creation. He said, God created everything out of nothing for his glory. Read you that text a few minutes ago. And the angels, they marveled at everything that he had created. So every time God would do something new, the angels would go, wow. He created this, wow. He'd do this, what are we going to see next? Then God made his crowning jewel, you and me, mankind. That became the crowning jewel of his creation. The angels were flabbergasted. And as he, God, was finishing the painting of creation, before the painting was finished, he handed the brush to man and he said, I tell you what, man. You paint in the center. God did this because God wanted man to love him. Let's face it. As anyone knows, it is only love when the person freely chooses to love you. Forced marriages don't work, do they? It's only when a person chooses to love you. Man did paint the center. He painted himself in the center. What he did that day was sin. I find it very interesting. Think of the word sin. What is the middle letter? I. In the center of all of man's world was I, the man. Just like sin. Man chose to love himself more than he loved God. That was the condition of man. That was the condition of creation. If we're honest with ourselves, we live as if we are the God of our own lives and that we should be the central focus we do it in our lives with our family, our friends, and the choices we make. But you know the sad thing? We do it in church. It's those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior sometimes that can be the most self-centered individuals to walk the face of the earth. I know some pastors that think the entire religious system revolves around them. I know Sunday school teachers that think it revolve around them. I know choir directors. I know ones that sit in the pews. How, how do I know that this is the case? <laughs> Conviction time. How do you pray? I just wrote down a couple of things that I hear when we ask for prayer, when we pray. So how do we pray? Hey, God, why don't you fix this problem? Hey, hey God, why don't you heal this person? Hey, God. Why don't you give me this? It sure would be good. Hey, hey God, 
why don't you take care of this in my life? Sound familiar? We spend a lot of time asking God to take care of the things in our world because we think we are the center of our world. We think it's all about us. It comes right down to how we worship. Probably going to step on a few toes, may get a deacon's meeting out of this, but it'll be okay. Let me tell you some of the things I hear. Some of the things I hear. How do we worship? I want a different kind of music, Pastor. I don't like that stuff we sing. You know what? I saw some of you fanning today. After I say this, it won't happen. Had I not said this, it would happen. On the way out, someone would stop and say, Pastor, I think we need to set the air conditioner a little lower in the sanctuary. I was uncomfortable. <laughs> it's always a winner. Here's one. Here's one you've all thought it's okay. I take criticism very well. Sure wish that pastor would shut up sooner. I hear it every Sunday, Wednesday, Monday, any other time I talk to anyone. Here's one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> I think you should use less scripture. It's kind of hard to keep up with you. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. My wife's staring a hole in me from the back. <laughs> Let me break the news to you. What we do here is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. If God lays it on my heart to preach three hours, I'll preach. You can go home. If God decides we're going to sing praise and worship music in a band, we're going to sing praise and worship music with a band. If He decides we're going to flip it all around and we're just going to start in the morning, we're going to go to the evening and maybe we'll have services on a Monday night, guess what? We're going to have services on a Monday night. It's just not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Many a good church has been ruined because it's been about someone in the church instead of about the one the church is built by and for. And that is God Almighty. Let's hurry along. How did God choose to mend those broken relationships caused by sin? How did God choose to pursue His glory after we rejected Him, after we made ourselves the center of His life? God could have chosen to destroy all of creation and start over. He destroyed most of creation, if you remember, and left a family. That family also sinned against him. God could have decided to just say, you know what? They're doing their own thing. I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to make another one. I'm going to make another one that doesn't have the problems of that one. But God didn't do that. God did what you and I would never do. How do I know that? Philippians 2, 6. Philippians 2, 6 says this. Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it something to be held on to, to be equal with God. Now get the picture. He starts writing. He says this, Jesus who is God didn't think that that was something that would be bad to be considered, to be held on to. He says, but he emptied himself of his privileges. Let me ask you a question. What privileges does Jesus have? It would be easier to list the privileges he doesn't have because there aren't any. He has them all. He's God. And it says he emptied himself of his privileges. 
here's the worst part for me, the part I know that I would have participated in, taking on the form of a servant. The, the God of creation. The one that when God the Father spoke the word, John 1, 1 says he was with God because he was God and he is the word. When God created and spoke, guess who did the work? Jesus. Jesus that created everything that we see. Emptied himself of all those things that he was rightfully owner of in heaven and put on a servant. <laughs> It doesn't just say servant in the King James. It says bond servant. That means willingly chose to be a servant. And then it says, and coming in the likeness of men. How humiliating would that be? To create a man to love you. The man chooses not to and disobeys you. And when you want to come in the relationship... You make yourself in the same form as the one who had rejected you. I myself would have thrown on the white robes, the sword, the crown, the white horse, and rode in and made you straighten up. Jesus, it says, emptied himself, became a servant in the likeness of man. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How much more humble could you become? Thankfully, it goes on to tell us. It says, by becoming obedient to the point of death... Even death on a cross. There's a lot of ways in this world that you can die. I don't think at the top of your list or mine is going to be a cross. It is the most cruel way that they knew of at that time to murder someone. And it says he didn't just choose to come and die. He come, chose to come and do it in the most humiliating, painful way possible. <laughs> God came to earth in the form of a servant to pay a price for a penalty of sin that he had not done himself. It was a penalty you and I had done that we could not pay for. He could have crushed creation and started over. Yet, he chose to be crushed by his creation so that we might have eternal life. With the speaking of a word, all of this could have disappeared. Yet, he chose to came to come and let creation kill him on a cross. See, we painted ourselves in as the center of the world. We've all done it in each of our lives. We've painted ourselves in as the center. We say, what a beautiful picture. How do I know that? Have you ever noticed when you take a group picture? If I were to take a group picture this morning, and I were to ask you to look at it on the way out, what's the first thing you would look for in the picture? You. It's because we're just that self-centered. When it comes to the picture, we painted ourselves right in the midst of the picture. Yet Jesus, he came as a servant to die for that sin of us wanting to be the sinner. What's the result of that same passage? Philippians chapter 2 verse 9, it says, Therefore, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why? To the glory of God the Father. Christ took off, took off royalty, put on a servant, died on a cross for your sins for one reason. So that you and I could look and say, God 
to your glory be my life. God, you be glorified even in his own son because of what he did in obedience to the Father. He said that one day will come when you say the name of Jesus, every knee's going to hit the dirt. Every tongue is going to confess one thing. He surely is the Lord. Not all are going to be saved because for some it's going to be too late. For some it's going to be too late. See, the reason that he came and he died on a cross for your sins is so that God could gain the glory. It's almost as if you could hear Paul as he's writing to the Philippian church saying, He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God because of what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The result of God glorifying himself through the sacrifice of his only begotten son is our salvation. He chose to glorify himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son so that he could be glorified. He chose to do it through our salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's self-centered and seeks his own glory. Because by seeking his own glory, he saved my life for eternity. His glory it was not a selfish glory that crushed us because of our rebellion. No, it was a glory that sacrificed his only begotten son on the cross for your sins and for mine. And when you realize that God has a purpose for you, and it's not about you, then you will have God in the right place in your life. <laughs> See, you don't come to God to add Him. A lot of folks, when they have a child, they want to get back in church because they need God in that child's life. When they have a death in the family, they're going to come to church because their eyes have been opened that there is death coming. A lot of folks, when they have a tragedy, a financial situation, a marriage that's in trouble, they come to church because they need to add God in. God doesn't want you to add Him to anything. You don't come to God to add Him to your life, to fix your problems, to give you comfort, to heal your broken heart or your broken body. That is not the purpose. You come to God when you realize you were created by Him and for Him and that your life purpose is to glorify Him. You come to God when you realize there is an almighty God that loved you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the sin in your life has separated you from that relationship. You realize the Bible is true when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You realize the Bible is true when it says God loved you so much He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross that if you believe in what He did on that cross for you, that you will be saved. You believe that if you continue in sin in the path that you're on, you'll do exactly what the Bible says when it says the wages of that sin in your life is death, both physically and spiritually for all of eternity. You'll realize there's a God that loves me and I need to fall in love with this God. How do you do that? You do that by believing that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, was buried and rose three days later by the power of the almighty God. And then you confess with your mouth that he is both Savior and Lord. When you realize that he's both Savior and Lord, you realize that you have a purpose. And that purpose is not about you. It's about God that hung on a cross with his arms outstretched. With a body beaten so badly it was barely recognizable. With a crown of thorns shoved upon his head. With a spear stuck in his side. With the spit of man dripping from his beard. And he did that for you 
so that your life would be glorified to Him. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.